Right, good afternoon. Thank you for uh, coming. My name is Dr. Vague. Uh, I've known uh, quite a few of you from clinic, so it's nice uh, that so many people came out to uh, listen to these talks. I'm going to talk a little bit about personality and impulsivity. So, what do we mean by a Parkinson's personality? Now, we don't mean these people, although they do do great work for uh, raising awareness and fundraising, including our uh, local celebrities. So, what we mean by personality? So this is the patterns of thoughts, feelings, and actions. So there are many different ways that people have tried to describe uh, what personality is. And this idea that this, uh, there may be some traits in Parkinson's goes back over 100 years. The first um, publication report was in 1913, when people with Parkinson's were described as moralistic. Now, the terminology and uh, thoughts about this has changed over time. So, back in the um, early 20th century, people thought that emotional stress may have caused changes in personality, which may lead to Parkinson's. And then, further thought, so but now we've got to about the 1960s, people thought Parkinson's caused uh, emotional stress, which led to changes in personality. So just to be clear, we're not saying that, um, well, at least these people weren't suggesting that people with Parkinson's had a homogenous uh, personality type, so not everyone Parkinson's got the same personality, but just certain parts about their personality um, showed some similarities. So, for example, addictive behaviours or um, risk-taking was thought to perhaps be less in people with Parkinson's. So things have moved on since then, and because we found that there's some evidence, this is from... You're very quiet, I more directly into the microphone. I'm not speaking into the microphone. Right, can you hear me a bit better? Yes. So sorry. So, um, for anyone who's missed, so the, the update was things have changed. We thought that um, emotional stress may change to personality, which may cause Parkinson's. And then we thought maybe Parkinson's led to emotional stress, which led to personality changes. And now the thinking is that whatever's causing um, changes in personality, uh, maybe the same thing that's causing the Parkinson's. So as we know, Parkinson's affects the um, dopamine system, and in the same way, certain personality characteristics, which we know from people without Parkinson's, can be affected. <coughs> so people with uh, particularly addictive behaviours tend to have uh, greater um, uh, sensitivity to dopamine. So, why is this important? Why, why do we care if certain traits in Parkinson's uh, personality are different. Well, for a start, but it could be a marker to say that these people may potentially be at risk of developing um, Parkinson's in the future. We know that, uh, as Michelle mentioned, people with uh, REM sleep behaviour disorder, there's a potential that they may be slightly more risk averse. Uh, it may help shed light on some risk factors. So it's been widely shown that um, people who smoke are less likely to develop Parkinson's. But is it just because people who are less likely to smoke get Parkinson's could be uh, the difference? Could it be a biomarker? Could it be that there's a subgroup of people who may um, have these certain characteristics who develop a different form of Parkinson's? And this is the bit that I'm particularly interested in, which is treatment. Are there certain parts of a personality which, when you turn up to clinic the first time, that if we can assess, can we actually monitor your risk for impulsive compulsive disorder? which is a very troublesome side effect of some of the medications. So, in this study, so using the data from the cohort Michelle's already described, 
Does the personality of people with Parkinson's, so these are certain characteristics, uh, different from people without Parkinson's and people with Parkinson's, and can they explain whether smoking itself is a result of people's personality or whether smoking indeed, for some reason, is protected against Parkinson's? So to use this, we use the five-factor model of personality. Now, these terms have been popularised, and what we mean by them is not necessarily what they're referred to in pop culture. So the um, extroversion, I mean, these are things, everything from assertiveness to gregariousness, but can also be uh, forms of interaction. Uh, neuroticism refers to emotional stability. And there are different parts of it. Now, the problem is uh, popular culture has labeled some value on these that certain characteristics may be beneficial or not. But just to be clear, that's not what we mean by them using the psychological model. So for everyone who's been to clinic, you'd have sat through these, uh, these pages of lots and lots of boxes. So we use the big five inventory, and as you can see, there are 44 questions, each with sort of five tick, five point scale. Some are reverse scores, so it's not a case that everyone down one side or down the other side or down the middle was scoring the same. So who did we ask? Well, we asked everyone who came in. So if you see in the data we got from the cohort, everyone's of a similar age. And you can see that the uh, number of women in the cohort, in the Parkinson's RBD group, are less. We've got a lot more men, which is reflective of the fact that more men are affected by these conditions. And as you can see by the fact that uh, we're quite an early cohort, only 1.3 years was the average disease duration. And we had a significant proportion who weren't treated with Parkinson's yet. So what we see here is just breaking down, these are just the raw scores. And these are just to show that when I'm referring to there's no specific personality type in Parkinson's, you see the same pattern of results in each of the groups. So as you can see the controls, which are people without Parkinson's, Parkinson's cases, and the Zachary's group, the Ramsey behavior disorder people. So it's the same pattern. So there's no different personality for Parkinson's, but what we're interested in is specific traits. And as you can see here, and I've put in for the background in white and, and bolded up the results which were important. Now, the numbers I've actually given there are the odds ratio and probability. <coughs> now, the odds ratio doesn't mean, uh, so if, if we take extroversion at the top, it doesn't mean that they're half as likely to be extroverts. This is just a proportional ratio. <coughs> it just means that uh, people with Parkinson's on that particular trait were less likely to be more extrovert than people with controls. And as you can see, it's the same pattern we're seeing in Parkinson's and the people with REM sleep behaviour disorders compared to people without. So we're seeing that same pattern in both groups, which lends weight to the fact that there may be similarities there. And again, there, is, there does seem to be this association with personality and also these addictive behaviours. So we looked at smoking, alcohol and caffeine, and it looks like by the way that we measure people's caffeine intake, wasn't sensitive enough to pick up any differences, or there were no differences. But certainly personality does explain some of the smoking and alcohol pain. So going back to the questions we're trying to answer, so this is on the basis of uh, the discovery cohort. Yes, we are seeing these same patterns. And what we're going to do now is just have a look to see if there are subgroups or particular traits which we can pick out that can help with subtyping and potentially uh, risk assess people for ICD. And also, <coughs> We haven't quite finished this yet, 
but it could be that these differences we're seeing in smoking and alcohol are actually explained by personality and have no actual effect on the mechanism, the underlying cause of the Parkinson's. Now, I've mentioned also already that one of the interests in the personality is this risk of impulsive-compulsive disorder. And just to say um, what this is, so this is a problem with the self-control. It's about having a, it's almost like a filter. I've got to talk to one of the um, people that were included in their study, and they describe it as a feeling of doing something thrilling, like being on a roller coaster, but feeling safe at the same time. It doesn't feel like it's risky, because it's a simulated risk, when in fact they're actually indulging behaviours which can be harmful to themselves or others. So, why is it important? So, it, the most common types of problems we see are problems with hypersexuality, gambling, compulsive buying, and eating. And it can have significant effects. So, for example, one of the first public, uh, one of the first cases where they actually managed to uh, take the drug company successfully to court to say, you know, you should really warn us about this. His life was um, significantly affected. Huge amounts of debt, huge problems with his um, relationship. Uh, somebody suffered with Parkinson's, ended up running up two hundred thousand pounds worth of debt. In fact, in one of the early studies, they found that the average debt for somebody who developed um, pathological gambling in America about $100,000 worth of debt before anyone realised what was going on. People were remortgaging and they all thought it was okay and they were hiding it from people who could see it. So this is quite a dramatic change. In fact, the first case was a lady in her, um, she was about 70 and she'd never gambled before in her life, newly started gambling and before anyone noticed, she'd already spent $100,000 having never gambled before. So this is a case that the drug was clearly causing an effect. They took away the medication, she stopped gambling and wondered what on earth was going on. So, other things. And now, it's been, uh, now there's enough weight of evidence to say that it's been the drugs which are causing the problem. So, what do we know about um, impulsivity? Well, most of the cases we've got, so the biggest um, bit of information we have is how many people are affected. Now, one of the differences between the cohort we're doing here and all the published information about it is the fact that we're going back to really early Parkinson's. And so, while at any stage of Parkinson's, we know between 5 to 15% risk, we're trying to find out exactly what happens at the earliest stages. And more than that, we're just trying to find out what exactly is it that um, uh, puts people at risk. So these are some of the things which have been suggested, which lend people at greater risk for impulsivity and um, ICD. So, what question would you like to answer? Well, why does that happen and who is at risk? How can we avoid these things ever happening in the first place by putting people on individualised treatment, putting them on the right treatment to start with? So we're using Discovery Cohort because we've got, as Michelle mentioned, we've got everything from genetics, from blood works, and we've got all kinds of clinical measures. So hopefully we'd be able to create a model which is good enough to predict people who are at risk of these problems. And every time somebody came to clinic, we gave them a screening test called the questionnaire from ICD. Now, this is very sensitive at picking up the problem, but it's not very specific, because it's designed to try and pick up as many people as possible, but in the process of picking up as many people as possible who do suffer from it, we do pick up people who may not necessarily have the problem. And so what we did then is we sent out a number of letters in order to do a phone call to make a diagnosis over the phone. So, this is still a work in progress, but following a pilot of about 60 people, we went back and did, and, uh, we did the full um, uh, 
uh, full cohort, and these are the number of people we've um, found that were eligible to be um, phoned up. And about half the people actually kindly replied to the um, invitation, and we've called them. So we've got about 74 people, well, we have 74 people um, as of last week, uh, of which seven who, when we called up, had active problems in this area, and everyone we found who had a problem, we did ask the commission and we, um, we notified their neurologist. And then 28 people at the time of talking to them didn't have full-blown ICD, but either had ICD or affected in some way. And then also you can have a look to say that even people who don't have uh, Parkinson's do get similar features. So for example, the uh, people with the uh, in the non-PD cases may have a pre-existing disorder, so anything from obsessive compulsive disorder, binge eating disorder, compulsive shopping, which are prevalent in the normal population. And this gives you a bit of an idea. So even in the um, 74 cases we've seen, now these don't up, add up to 74 because some people may be affected by more than one. You can see the scale of the problem that we're uh, dealing with. So this is not an uncommon complication. Having a full-blown ICD is between 5-15% we know in the white population, but what we're seeing here is the fact that quite early on um, we're seeing this problem. So, we're going to finish the interviews and then we can really work on the question of what, how can we risk assess people in order to give people individualised treatment and really give them the treatment they deserve and try and avoid these really quite horrible complications. So, that's all uh, I wanted to say. Just like to say thank you to the team and obviously all the participants who without whom we wouldn't be able to do these things. Thank you very much.